0: It's important to establish that culture of winning, the importance of winning, and doing things the right way. So for us, it's just to keep building upon that. Throws to the end zone, it is for the Miami touchdown. It's Parker.
1: All day long with Devontae Parker. Picked off, going to the end zone, is Eric Rowe for the touchdown. Blake fake, throws it, there he is,
2: Rockings, and it's a big man touchdown in Miami.
1: Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in Miami the- Dolphins fans, assemble! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to our first ever Fins Up Friday. This is the show where we get you, the fans, involved. We want you to steer the show, steer the conversation. I'm Riley. He's Mason. We're brought to you by BlueWirePods.com and BetOnline. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We've talked about it since we started this show, Mason. We want to find new, engaging ways to get the fans involved, and this show is the center of that. This is where it all is going to start.
2: Yeah, Riley, and you found a new and engaging way to start the show, which I actually really liked. You told me it was going to be a new, different way right before we recorded. You said, by the way, I have a new... New way we're gonna open the show. And I, I just didn't. Said, okay. I
1: didn't want to startle you.
2: <laughs> it still startled me, but I liked it. I liked it. I, I love Anchorman, so I like any Anchorman references. So good job, kudos. Well,
1: it started because I did it on Twitter earlier uh, this week when we were gathering questions from fans, and I was like, "Ha, hey, I should do that as the open." So I thought, "Why not switch it up a little bit?" It's Fin's Up Friday, baby. <laughs> Got to do it That's right. right. <laughs> it is
2: Fins Up Friday, and we got some great questions online that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, some of them we haven't talked about yet on the show. Some of them we have, but they're definitely worth going over because they talk about important things like our offensive line or quarterback situation. So it was great to see all the uh, interaction and fan participation.
1: Yeah, we asked for you guys to participate, and you all brought it. And another special thing we're doing is the first half we're going to have fan questions. We're going to give our thoughts. And the second half of the show, we're going to bring on Dolphins influencers. And we're going to start with Ian Berger. He's a contributor for DolphinsTalk.com. He's very heavily involved on Twitter. So we're going to talk to Ian. And we're going to mix in some questions from the fans with Ian as well. So if you don't hear it in this first segment, hopefully we address it with Ian in our second segment. But we have a ton to get to, Mason. So we're not going to waste any more time. Let's go ahead and start banging out some of these questions. I'll go ahead and start on Twitter Derek Shoop says, are you worried about the depth at wide receiver? And he asks, how long do you think it'll take the offensive line time to gel? So let's start with the first one, Mason.
2: Yeah, two important questions. Obviously with receivers, we've had injuries in the past. Durability is a big concern. As of now, I'm not worried about the depth just because of what we're bringing back. But as the training camp goes on, as preseason the regular season gets into it, That is a position that has had an injury history. So as of now, I'm not worried about it from one to 10. I'm probably at a three or four, but because of that history, I, you know, I would say I'm worried a little bit.
1: You know, what's kind of funny, Mason, is if you would have asked this question, we talk about this, both of these, actually, we did depth chart dives where we broke down these position groups for the offensive line and the wide receiver group. But when we were talking about the wide receivers, we mentioned, like, if you had asked us, you know, going into last season, who you thought the strongest position group for the Dolphins was, I think a lot of people would have said wide receivers. To me yeah. now, Mason, it's one of the groups with the most question marks going into this year. The team didn't address it really in free agency or the draft. They signed a couple undrafted rookies, but for the most part, they did not address this position at all. So yeah, for me personally, I am a little worried about the depth considering those injuries that, we, that you mentioned earlier.
2: Now, but you go from last season to this season, we didn't have the 1,200-yard, nine touchdowns, Devontae Parker. So that has to ease some concerns. We also have Albert Wilson, who had a record for his career in receptions last year. This is going to be a huge year for him. He just restructured his contract. And then the biggest question mark for me is going to be Preston Williams. Coming back from a second major injury, how's he going to look? So the question was depth. I'm not super concerned about depth because the Dolphins have about four or five guys behind They're starting one or two that can do a lot of similar things. But let's move to the offensive line. How long do you think it's going to take them to gel? For me, Riley, with possibly two rookies starting in week one and they're possibly being four or even five new faces on that offensive line. I'm going to say it's going to take quite a while. Hopefully we can have four preseason games, but if we don't and we only have two preseason games because of the COVID situation, It could take this offensive line quite a while to gel. I'd say at least five or six games into the season.
1: And this obviously always goes into the Tua talk. When should Tua start? But yeah, Mason, I think when you look at position groups on the field, the offensive line is the one that communicates the most. They have the most to work together as one cohesive unit. So yeah, it's going to take some time with so many new faces. Obviously they upgraded in terms of talent, right? But- It's going to take some time for these guys to know each other's tendencies, and especially in this offseason when everything is virtual right now, like the team is not together yet. They're missing mini camps. Hopefully by the time training camp rolls around, we'll be ready to roll. But even then, you have these new free agents coming in. You have the new draft picks. We could be starting two rookie tackles this year. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time. Dolphins fans, I would kind of, you know, set your expectations at a reasonable level. It could be ugly for these first few weeks while this line tries to figure themselves out. And you have a lot of guys that, quite frankly, can fit in different pieces at different positions on the offensive line. So where do they fit the best to help give them the best five guys on the line going forward? So it might take some time, but let's go ahead and move to our next question.
2: Yeah, so this next question is from Gary A. Gary A says, it's great that the Dolphins organization focused their attention on the O-line via draft. His question is, How developed is the D-line going to be now that Harris is gone? Perhaps Weaver, the rookie, Curtis Weaver, is he going to step in
1: a starting role quickly? Curtis Weaver probably, I think, is going to be one of those rotational guys when you talk about other guys they brought in as edge rushers. Kyle Van Noy is obviously the first one that comes to mind. If you look back at his 2018 year, so last year he was primarily used as an edge rusher, but going back to 2018 when he was with Coach Brian Flores, he had a career high in tackles. I think they're going to try to utilize him in multiple ways on the defense. And we always talk about versatility. So I think he's one of those guys. And on the line specifically, you know, we talk about bringing Emmanuel Ogba, Shaq Lawson. You know, none of these guys are going to jump off the page in terms of their statistics, but they are upgrades over what we had last year in guys like Charles Harris. So you're going to get more production out of that line, which I think Mason is going to increase the level of play from the interior defensive line guys like Christian Wilkins Devon gotcha had a good year last year but I could see his numbers even going up a little bit and then they bring in a couple of guys through the draft um, he mentioned Curtis Weaver who I know us on this show really like Curtis Weaver especially where they got him right <laughs> that late in the draft I mean he was projected to be a you know top 80 to 100 player and we got him with what like the 156 pick or something like that so him and then Raquan Davis out of Alabama there's a lot to like Moving forward with the defense, a lot of upgrades, but once again, a lot of new faces.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much, I agree with everything you said, Riley. But one thing I'll add is Godshaw. It's going to be a huge year for him, like many Dolphins. He's got a contract year coming up, so that's going to definitely light a fire under him. And Christian Wilkins is a guy I'm really going to be paying attention to to see what he can do this season. I think the fact that we have brought in those pass rushers is going to help our interior line a lot on the defensive side. I'm really excited for those new additions. And I think bringing in those guys like Van Noy, who has the experience of playing different spots in defense is going to cause a lot of havoc. And it's essentially going to help out the entire defensive unit up front. So I agree with your statement on that.
1: Yeah. And since he mentioned Curtis Weaver, this is another guy that's also very versatile. He was a sack machine in the mountain West. He was mountain yep. West defensive defensive player of the year. Mason, he's the mountain West all time sacks leader. So You're getting a guy that had a ton of production in college. His body type is kind of, you know, it's not your prototypical outside linebacker slash D end, depending on what scheme he fits in. So that may have been why he fell a little bit, but the Dolphins got a playmaker in Curtis Weaver. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Let's move on. Dave Smith on Twitter. He wants to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and more so what is Ryan Fitzpatrick going to do after the season? He wants our thoughts on Ryan Fitzpatrick eventually being possibly Mason on the coaching staff after this season Ooh. and continuing to mentor Tua after this year? I thought it was an intriguing, interesting question because we don't know. He's going into the last year of his deal, right? He's competing for the starting job, but he knows is the future of this franchise. So what's he going to do? Does he want to try to play somewhere else? Does he want to try to resign with the Dolphins as a backup mentor role? Or hmm, who knows? Maybe he wants to get into coaching.
2: Yeah, that is an interesting question. Um, for a journeyman quarterback like Fitzpatrick, who's been on his eighth team with the Dolphins, so it's eight different teams, you got to think he's been around a lot of coaches who have affected him differently from getting to work with coaches who've really changed the way he sees the field, reads the playbook, or he's been with coaches saying like, that's not the way I want to be if I am or ever am in the coaching role. So I like that question a lot. And the fact that Fitzpatrick is turning 38 this NFL season yeah. makes you think that this is probably going to be his last stop. He has several kids, they're getting older now. Not to say that coaching would be any easier. You go to a coaching profession in the NFL, you don't see your family at all. We've all watched Hard Knocks, we've we've seen the interviews. The coaches sometimes live at that facility. So If it's Patrick does go into coaching, you would think he'd be a good fit as a QB coach to start off or possibly another positional coach. I don't know, but as a QB coach, he would bring a lot of experience. He's played for a lot of different teams, a lot of offensive coordinators, and you know, he's seen the ins and the outs of the NFL. He's been with certain teams. Like I remember he played for the Bengals a long time ago, didn't really do much for them. He played for the bills for a number of years. So he was a start, a a fixture for that offense. And then he played with some teams where, like I mentioned, like the Bengals didn't really stay very long. Mason,
1: you're going back to pre-beard Ryan Fitzpatrick there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's entering, he's entering his 16th season. So yeah, he's played for a ton of teams. Um, Yep. And I, I and I believe the
2: Rams drafted him. So I think that there was one more team before the Bengals. It's crazy. That's,
1: That's such a great point that you bring up though. It is such a grind being a coach like Every Hard Knocks you watch, the coach is the first guy there, and it's like yep. 4 o'clock in the freaking morning. Like, <laughs> you might as well just sleep there, right? And then you're there all day, obviously, and then you're there late at night. So you have to really love football <laughs> to transition and be an effective coach. But, I mean, the dude's obviously smart enough, I think. Is he the only quarterback that's ever scored a perfect score on the Wonderlick? If not, he's one of a few. I'm not sure, Riley.
2: I know like in the 70s, there might have been a punter who had a perfect score on it. So he may be the only quarterback who's ever gotten a perfect score on that test.
1: Yeah, but regardless, he comes out of Harvard. He's obviously a smart guy. He knows a ton of different offenses throughout his career. So I think if he wants to coach, the opportunity will definitely be there. It's just what does he want to do? If he ends the season, like if he goes through the whole season as our starting quarterback and ends like he did last year, He may want to keep playing. Like, why wouldn't you? I mean, he was the 10th rated quarterback since coming in after being benched last year. So if you're playing at that high a level, why would you call it quits then, even if it's not for the Dolphins? So I think how this season plays out really is going to answer that question for us, whether Ryan Fitzpatrick wants to continue playing, get into coaching, or just flat out retire.
2: Yeah, so Riley, let's move on. We have a question from Jamie D. Pendergast. Uh, Jamie says, do you see, we talked a little bit about Van Noy, but do you see Van Noy as a linchpin for the defense or use the other pieces to free him up? Jamie says that he truly believes his defense is like a chess set. That's a that's a good comparison. That will change week to week depending on the offense's strengths. Riley, we've talked about versatility a lot. Uh, we see a lot of versatility from Van
1: Noy. Yeah, And I mentioned 2018 was his most effective year. And that's when he played with Brian Flores. And that's a big reason why he wanted to come to the Miami Dolphins. He had a good season last year. I mean, he had a season high in sacks, six and a half. But his tackles took a dip, some of his other production, because they primarily used him as an edge rusher. And this is a guy that's athletic enough that you can use him all over the defense. And that's what Brian Flores did. I mean, he had 92 tackles in 2018 with the New England Patriots. So he was a tackling machine. He was all over the field. So Now that he's back with Brian Flores, I anticipate seeing more of those kind of numbers elevating. Hopefully he keeps those sacks up because Lord knows we need pressure from the edge as much as we can coming off of last season. So I would love to see those six and a half sacks stay there. If not, you know, increase that by a couple. So I think he's going to be a major piece in that chess set that he talked about.
2: Yeah, we'll talk a lot about Kyle Van Noy when we discuss our depth depth chart dive with parts of the defense. But yeah, I really foresee his usage in 2018 with Coach Flores in New England, that's going to be more of an idea of how he's going to be used in his usage in Miami because in 2018 with Flores, like you mentioned, it was more split between box defender and edge defender. It was really almost down the middle. He had 514 snaps as a box defender and then he had 563 at the edge. He's definitely an upgrade from the lack of edge defenders we ha- we've had in the past. He's definitely going to be helping the interior line, the edge rushers. I like how they're going to be moving him around. Chess pieces is a really good way to describe this defense because we talked about the secondary on our previous show on how to be in the secondary, you have to be willing to move to different spots, to take yeah. on different roles. So Kyle Van Noy, he's really going to fit that mold for the Dolphins come this coming season.
1: Probably – other than byron jones the best addition in terms of free agent signings on the defense i know shaq lawson comes in he's talented yeah, too i agree he with can that be moved around but i'd say other than byron jones he's he's right up there because he fits what brian flores is trying to do so well
2: yeah and i would even take it one step further i think van noy is probably the best free agent signing just because of how he can play multiple positions and how he can do it so well if he yeah. can take what he's done to New England the last few years and bring it to Miami, he's going to help the entire defense, not just the defensive line or the linebacking group. He's going to help the secondary a lot too, because that secondary is going to feel a lot less pressure when there's more pressure on the quarterback.
1: How one position group plays definitely affects the other. So if the defensive line, the linebackers are getting more pressure on the quarterback, that's only going to help out our secondary. So let's move on. This one's a little in-depth. I think we got to go a little further into this one. Jeff Kerr, He wants us to rank these Dolphins. He lists 12 of them. I don't think we have time to list all 12, each of us, but he says, if given the opportunity, who becomes the top slot receiver in a spread system? So Mason, maybe we can give our top three, top five. Uh, Let me just read the list and then I'll just get your thoughts. Sure. So he has Malcolm Perry, Patrick Laird, Isaiah Ford, Mike Gesicki, Gary Jennings, Kalen Balaj, Kirk Merritt, Jakeem Grant, Matt Breida, Miles Gaskin, Matt Cole, Albert Wilson. It's (laughs) funny because it's funny because this guy, because Jeff, he like tweeted then deleted it like three times because he kept adding names to the list. (laughs) I like it. I like
2: adding names, even though some of these names like Kalen Balage, you you know, some some of them may not quite fit. But I do like him adding it in because you never know. Someone could see Kalen Balage as a solid slot receiver in a spread system. I personally don't. So looking at this list, I'm going to go ahead and give my top three, okay? okay. Um, number, number one, I'm going to say Albert Wilson. We know what Albert Wilson can do in this offense. Um, there is many highlights out there. There's many examples of what he did in Miami his first year before he was injured and how he can just take a five or a 10-yard reception over the middle and turn it into a 60-yard touchdown or a huge play down the field. I feel like he can be a great slot receiver, but that is a big if the durability factor? Can he get that step that he really didn't show last year when he was on the field, even though he had a career high in receptions, he just still didn't have quite that agility and that burst. So I, for me, when he's healthy, Albert Wilson's number one. Um, You know, number two is going to surprise you a little bit. I think Um, I'm going to put Isaiah Ford at number two. I was impressed. It does
1: surprise me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah,
2: it does. I was really impressed by the way he finished the season. He had a lot of targets. He Him and Fitzpatrick had a good rapport as far as quarterback and receiver go. His issue, once again, injuries, and can he stay out on the field? So I'm going to say Isaiah Ford for number two. And then finally, you know what, number three is going to even surprise you even more. See, I could have went with a really safe top three, but I want to give three players that I find very intriguing for this. Um, For this third one, I had two in mind. I'm not going to say Jakeem Grant. I think he's better outside the numbers personally. I don't think he's a slot guy. Yeah. Um, the two that I had in mind were Matt Breida and Mike Gasicki. I'm going to go with Mike Gasicki for that role just because of when we broke down the tight ends, we talked about this a lot, but Gasicki is not a hand in the dirt tight end. He's not a blocking tight end. He will never be that. He could get better at blocking, but that's not going to be his role on this team. His role needs to transition to being at different places on the field, and I think he can become a decent or a top slot receiver in this team in the spread system because when you take his size into consideration, it is a total mismatch in our favor. So those are my top three guys. Gasicki
1: is my number one. Okay, yeah, good. I, I get it. You know, if you look at Albert Wilson, he's more of your traditional. When you pick, when you picture. A slot receiver, he you know he has the size, the quickness over the middle. He kind of is what your typical slot receiver in past years have been, but the NFL has evolved. Like you're seeing guys like Julio Jones really take advantage of sure. the middle of the field and coming out of the slot. So last year, Mike Kosicki played over 400 snaps. From the slot position. So you already saw the transition and the athleticism that he brings to that position. He is a mismatched nightmare for safeties and linebackers, especially over the middle of the field. So I think Mike is sick. He's my clear number one. And number two, I'm going to go with Albert Wilson. I am a little concerned by his injury history. He just has never been able to really put it together for a full season. So in terms of how reliable he is, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure about it, but in terms of the overall talent, I'm going to put him at number two, because like I said, he's your traditional, he's going to break it open with those slants over the middle. So I like what Albert Wilson brings. <sighs> number three. Yeah. You mentioned Hakeem Grant, not, I, I I think he's more suited for the outside. Matt Breida, the 49ers didn't really utilize him much as a receiver. So while I think he has the skill set for it, I haven't seen it. So I'm not going to say Breida I kind of like Malcolm Perry, not going to lie. I mean, I, maybe I'm just jumping on this bandwagon of everyone loving Malcolm Perry. But the more people that talk about it, the more and more I get intrigued by it. So however the Dolphins use him. But I think, you know, he, he's a little undersized, kind of like Jakeem Grant. But in terms of how they use him in the slot, I think he could be effective as well. Oh, let's see. I'm going to give maybe one more. Um, let's go with Kirk Merritt. Why not? Undrafted rookie. I don't know if he's going to make the squad, Mason, but he was, he was a beast at Arkansas State. Um, he had over 1,000 yards his junior season. He was all Sun Belt Conference. He has the speed. He has the athleticism to play the position, but it's kind of a deep, wide receiver room, so I'm not sure he's going to be able to crack um, that top four in terms of receivers and get a lot of playing time, but he's someone to keep your eye on going into training camp. So I'll say Kirk Merritt. So I don't even know how many I listed there, but it was a few. So, so we're hopefully not, that's good enough, pa- Jeff. Yeah. We're not going with Kalen Balaj. You know, he just missed the cut for me, Mason, just okay. missed the cut.
2: <laughs> but I do, but I do like that question a lot from Jeff. I do like when we have to rank different spots like that. It's fun. So good question. So let's move on. I think we have time for one more before we get to our talk uh, with Ian. Um, this is from, Nannis. I hope I pronounced that right. Nannis. So Nannis said, am I right to consider Blake Ferguson? And you just mentioned him, Riley, Malcolm Perry, our best draft picks. Heck yeah. So it sounds like (laughs) Nannis is on board with what you just said, Malcolm (laughs) Perry drinking the Kool-Aid for Malcolm Perry. And then Blake Ferguson is a guy we haven't really talked about. You know, he's a long snapper. We haven't gotten to our long snapper depth, depth dive yet, but (laughs) Those two guys, I mean, maybe we'll do a bonus episode on it. Yeah, that'll be a bonus. But I mean, (laughs) listing those two guys as the best draft picks. I mean, I can see where he's coming from. I can see the argument being made for Blake Ferguson, arguably the best long snapper in college football last year. When you're the best of your position. Yeah, that's a pretty good draft pick. I don't know if I love that draft pick where the Dolphins got him, but you know. And then Malcolm Perry, he's getting a lot of hype. Um, The fact that he can play different spots. He's listed at a running back right now. He doesn't have a lot in size, but if you look at his Navy highlights and what he did on the field, not just one position, but several positions, I mean, it's easy to see the height behind Malcolm Perry. I don't know though, Riley, I would say the best draft picks, but I
1: can, I can see the argument. I love it going out on a limb with Malcolm Perry and Blake Ferguson. And yeah, I mean, Blake Ferguson, I would say has the best chances of being a dolphin the longest in his career. I mean, long snappers, as we've seen with past Dolphins, can stick around for quite a while, and this guy was the best to do it. You mentioned he was the best in college football last year, won the award, in fact, for the nation's best long snapper. He was a four-year starter, first long snapper in team history to be voted captain, actually, so that's pretty cool. And then Malcolm Perry... I just confessed my love for Malcolm Perry in our last question. (laughs) So, I mean, this guy is kind of like a Swiss Army knife, right? We don't even know how the Dolphins are going to use him, but if he makes Swiss Navy knife, Swiss Swiss Navy Navy. knife. Ah, there you go. I like it, Mason. He was AAC Offensive Player of the Year last year. So, He reeks versatility. He was quarterback at Navy. You know, they run the triple option there. So he ran for over 4,000 yards. He caught for over 400 yards. He had 43 touchdowns from scrimmage. And then he threw for 10 more in 1,300 yards. So this dude did it all. Like he was basically Navy's team last year. So uh, I'm very excited to see just how the Dolphins utilize him and if he can make the squad because there's stiff competition at wide receiver and obviously a running back with all the additions they made. So where does he fit? on this team. Is it on the active roster? Is he going to be on the practice squad? You would think, right, them bringing him in as a draft pick that they want to make something work with him. They see something in him. So if he can show his versatility in training camp, he's got a he's got a great shot of making the team. All right, so we're going to go ahead and move on and talk to Big E. We, I've been looking forward to this all week, Mason. I'm excited to bring Ian on to talk some Miami Dolphins. He writes for DolphinsTalk.com. You can follow him at ian 6 nine three on twitter but first before we get into ian a quick word from our sponsor at bet online guys there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner betonline.ag mason why don't you tell the people more
2: Sports, Riley, sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all your UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they still have those simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. So, everybody, you need to go visit Bet Online a g and use the promo code blue wire for a free welcome bonus that's one word blue wire bet online your online wagering experts
1: all right so we're really excited to kick off this portion of our fins up fridays we're every episode we do going to be talking to a dolphins influencer so someone that is heavily involved in the miami dolphins community whether that's on twitter through the media social media whatever it is and we're going to kick it off with our good friend, Ian Berger. Ian, you are my good friend because, sir, you helped us get launched big time <laughs> on our Fin It to Win It channel. That post you did a couple weeks ago was awesome, man, getting Dolphins fans involved and kind of engaging with each other. Since then, our our show has blown up. So we are like, hey, if we're going to kick off a Fin's Up Friday, we need to get Ian on first. <laughs>
0: Well, I appreciate it. And uh, I'm really glad to be able to help you guys. And I know I helped a lot of Dolphins fans throughout Twitter. So uh, I'm really, really glad to be able to help. And I'm very appreciative that you guys invited me onto your show today.
1: Yeah, you may know Ian as Big E. That's what he goes by on Twitter. And he's at Ian693. And Ian, you write a lot, you contribute a lot for DolphinsTalk.com. And I love your bio. So I was kind of looking at what you do there. And I love it. it says he's a banker by day, husband and father of two girls, which is really cool. Because I'm a father of two girls, Mason has a daughter, so we're a bunch of girl dads here. And he's a diehard Dolphins fan. Oh yeah, girl dads. Yeah, we're girl dads. So, (laughs) I also love the quote from your 14 year old daughter um, that you put on here when she asked, "Why do you root for a team that always loses?" And your response: I love your positivity, Ian, (laughs) by saying that there will be a day that will come in the future when the Dolphins are going to be a winning team. And damn it, Ian, I think we're really close to that day.
0: i agree with you no i agree with you and you know uh uh, dolphins talk and i and on twitter i describe myself as a fan with the keyboard you know I've, i've never been a writer i've never been a reporter i've just been someone who's gone to the games and i've watched the games on tv for for most of my life and love the love the team but as my daughter said and as we all know it has been rough being a dolphins fan for the last 20 or so years but you know i have never seen social media i've never seen you know news media so excited about an upcoming season so uh i think for all of us that have been dredging through season after season of you know bad things happening i think we're finally gonna get some good things happening with uh, with
2: tua and with all these new young kids that are coming on board And uh, Biggie, I'm going to go with Biggie. I like Biggie better. I think that's a great nickname. I like that a lot. For those of uh, people at home that don't know, how long have you been going to Dolphin Games as a season ticket holder?
0: So I have actually been going to games probably about 12 or 13 years as a season ticket holder. What happened was about eight years ago, I got my own season ticket package. What was happening was I was buying them from someone else and i sure. was selling some of the games to try and make up the cost because they're they're not cheap they're they are a little expensive but i was able to do it on my own about eight years ago first year of Tannehill actually was the first year that i became a season ticket holder it was right after or shortly after the one in 15 season and the year right after chad Pennington took us to uh, to the playoffs so it's been interesting but i think what what has what has happened is i, I have two tickets i bring my girls to the games and i kind of rotate which one i bring and it's really become an experience for them. And it's really not been about the winning or the losing. It's more about are we having some fun during the tailgate, right? Are we, are we enjoying ourselves while we're there? Are we doing some stuff that they're going to remember? Because I think, you know, as they get older, they're not going to remember a specific game or a specific season. They're going to remember, I had a
2: good time with my dad going to football games. And
0: that's really important to me.
2: So that's interesting. You say that you kind of switch from each daughter for the different games. Has there been any kind of issues or a dilemma when there's been a big game at Dolphin Stadium at Hard Rock? Has there been any kind of uh, argument on who gets the ticket to go with dad? Not really
0: what I what I've seen because I have a 15 year old and turned 13 year old. So what I have seen is that my 15 year old has started to kind of decide not to go because she knows it's going to be an eight hour Sunday. And my 13 year old has kind of raised her hand because she loves it. We have a whole routine. She is the one who puts on the magnets on my car for a lot of my Twitter followers. They look forward to watching, you know, a, a time of her putting the magnets on because it's kind of like a good luck charm type of thing Um, and she just loves going to the games and and being there and being part of it and seeing me scream i mean when else do you get to see your dad you know screaming at the top of their lungs enjoying a a touchdown right so um, that's what they like about it
1: that's really cool and i want to talk about what you do for dolphins talk.com so can you tell everyone like how long have you been working with dolphins talk what exactly do you do there i know a lot of people have been digging your two minute drills that you've recently started doing um so i want to talk to you about that as well but first can you kind of just tell everybody like what you do with dolphins talk and how long you've been working with them
0: yeah no so dolphins talk i have been a writer with them for a little over a year now um and dolphins talk is a site that's been around i want to say either 12 or 15 years And Mike is the owner, and he has just built it into this great powerhouse of Miami Dolphins fan information. Um, And really what I do, and I don't write as often as I would like, but I do write, especially when the season comes around, um, I start writing articles. And a lot of my articles are opinion-based, but they are, as you mentioned a little earlier, I'm a positive guy. So I always come from kind of like a positive angle where some people can just really come from a negative angle, and I think people appreciate that. Um, but one of the other things I started to do, to do is podcasting and I went to, I spoke to the group of my Twitter friends and followers um, and asked them what they thought of podcast. And the thing is, is that there, you know, there are many out there right now and and some people don't have a long attention span to be able to sit and listen to a podcast. So they said, you know, I, I recommended a two minute drill and they're like, this is great. You know, please do this because I just need some facts some quick news that came out and right now i'm only doing it one time a week but as the season gets closer i might i might actually run a, a two minute drill twice or three times a week
1: yeah and your last one that you did we want to kind of talk to you about that because we talked about it on one of our previous episodes you were talking about chris sims coming out and saying jared stidham is more talented than tua which got all dolphins fans everybody riled up including us here at finnit to win it but we talked about it on a previous episode. So like on Twitter at FinItToWinIt, I decided to put out this post where I put all of the AFC quarterbacks. I'm not sure if you saw it, Ian, but I asked everyone to rank one through four. Like if you're starting your franchise for the next five to 10 years, which of these quarterbacks would you want between all the AFC East quarterbacks, you know, Tua. Allen Darnold and of course Stidham, the uber talented Stidham. Which one would you <laughs> which one would you want to start with? And you know, I gave everyone a head start. I said Tua a number 1, but I'm curious Ian what your your 1 through 4 would be.
0: You know, it's interesting because um I think there're still we all want to believe that Tua is going to be this great quarterback. And from everything that we've seen from him, he was a great quarterback at Alabama. Um And then he got injured. Right. And I know even today there was a news article that came out that's from his physical therapist that said his recovery has been amazing. The fact that he has gotten so strong, so quick um, really speaks volumes to where he's going to be. But I think the question is, how is he going to react to his first hit? How's he going to react to his first 10 hits right when he gets tackled or when he gets sacked? And I think there's still that question mark. But from a pure talent standpoint, I mean he's got to be up there somewhere at the top from a pure talent standpoint right and and I think the question mark is going to be with his talent can he can he be healthy when he first start and starts and will he remain healthy but besides him you know you still got Josh Allen I think he's I think he's a good quarterback I think the Bills actually have a a, a talented quarterback I don't know if he's the franchise quarterback you know but he is a good quarterback I think he's got talent so I'd probably rank him second um Sam Darnold, he he's had his ups and downs, you know, and I don't know if you blame that on Sam or if you blame that on, um, on Gase, right. Because Adam Gase has from his past, besides his time with, um, with the hall of fame quarterback, right. Um, he has not really proven to be able to be that quarterback whisperer that he always was said to be. Um, and you know, and then, then you got Stidham, right. You, You look at Stidham's college performance And it wasn't really all that great, you know, and then you look at what he has done while he's been in the NFL, his statistics last year were three for four, 19 yards and one interception that was run back for a touchdown. That's his experience in the NFL. So, so my biggest question to Chris Sims was you're (laughs) saying that, that you're, you're picking, you're picking Stidham over Tua because of his NFL experience, but this is what he did now. You know, I've had some conversations with people and it does make sense to say the fact that he's been on the bench, the fact that he's been learning the system, the fact that he's been practicing with the team, there is that experience. But no one can ever say that that practice experience is going to uh, is going to translate to what they're doing on the field. And I think that's where that's where there's the big question mark. And let's be honest, you are not. it, It is almost impossible to replace a Hall of Fame quarterback with someone who's going to be at that level. I mean, the only team that I can think of that has recently done that has been Green Bay, you know, when they went from Favre to to Rodgers, right? You got those two quarterbacks back to back. How lucky were they to do that, you know? Um so I think that's going to be that's going to be the big challenge for the Patriots, but I would put him fourth. You know, I haven't seen anything from him that says that he's better than the fourth in the AFC East right now.
2: I agree 100% with that, biggie. I mean, with, with everything you said as far as the lack of playing time that Stidham has gotten, um, Josh Allen, I think Josh Allen right now is more of a system quarterback in Buffalo. What the pieces they've put around him have really complemented his game and bringing in Stefan Diggs. Riley and I talked about that on our last show with it to win it. Yeah. Bringing in Diggs this season is going to be really interesting because he's a legit deep threat and. I think Diggs is going to be really hungry to prove a lot of people wrong, uh, to prove that he can do it on his own and not with another talented receiver like he was doing in Minnesota with Thielen. So it'll be really it'll be interesting to see with that deep threat
1: weapon and Diggs how Josh Allen can take his game to the next level. I will say I will say, Mason, that Allen's skill set fits Buffalo very well. Oh, he yeah. doesn't. His accuracy his accuracy has never been his strong suit, but he has a big arm. He's really athletic. We obviously have seen that when he plays the Dolphins. Um, aver- he averages over eight yards a carry versus us. So um, I think you know, in terms of talent wise and fitting their system, I think he's probably number two on my list. But it's interesting when you talk about Stidham, like when you go from a Hall of Fame quarterback to the next quarterback, like Green Bay did it, the Colts did it when you know Peyton. <laughs> they lucked in Peyton Manning. It's, it's weird to say this. They lucked Andrew into Peyton luck. Manning getting injure, injured injured yep. and then they get Andrew <laughs> luck. And now they're yes. in a situation like we were when we lost Marino. Like we don't really know what to expect from Stidham. We haven't seen much of them. If Josh McDaniels can make Stidham and get the most out of his talents, then maybe Josh McDaniels is that great of an offensive mind because it's a tall task in my opinion. And we talked about this on our last podcast, Ian, like, the weapons around him have depleted over the years. I mean, Julian Edelman's a good receiver, but he's thirty-four years old. I mean, he's not, you know, that athletic freak. Like he makes the most out of his out of his talent, but he's got starting to get up there in age. And then you got guys like Mohammed Sunu, Marquise Lee. I mean, do any of those guys really scare you? They don't scare me. So you look at Sam Darnold too, and I just I've never been a Sam Darnold guy. Like you can make excuses. Like they did that with USC that he didn't have the pieces around him. That's why he was so, you know, erratic with his throws. Sometimes he had a lot of interceptions, but we've seen that translate to the jets. You can make that same argument with the jets, right? You mean they don't put pieces around him. I mean, their yeah. wide receiver core is abysmal. I mean, Denzel Mims is going to be their number one and he's a rookie. I mean, he's talented, but he's a rookie. So you wonder how that's going to play out. But in terms of situations, I mean, Josh Allen's in a good situation with Buffalo, but I think two is coming into a, if the offensive line can stabilize, two is coming into That's a pretty the good wild situation. That's Absolutely, yeah. And then, you know, you, you look at, you look at what
0: Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to do last year. And I, I saw a statistic this week that showed that over the last half of the season, he was the 10th best quarterback, I believe, in the league. Um, and that, yeah. you know, that has a lot to do with the offensive line. Because if you think about it, the running game was not, in, in existence for, for pretty much the entire season last year. Um, but I think if that group, and I mean, you look at that group and they've got huge guys, they've got Eric flowers who they picked up. They got all these young, big players. I, I think that those guys need some time to mesh before you can actually risk putting Tua in behind that line. And I think, I think Fitzpatrick has the maturity and he has um, he has the seniority to be able to figure I need to get this ball out as possible. And, I mean, if last year was, was any indication, he didn't mind taking a big hit and then getting back up and, and throwing that ball again. And, I mean, that line last year was – I mean, I, I think some of the guys, they're not on the team, obviously, anymore. And I, I don't even remember some of the names of the guys that were on the offensive line last season. It's a lot of unfortunately, new fortunately, But that's just where we were last year.
2: And, and it sounds like, uh, Biggie that you're in agreement with Riley and I, because that's been a hot topic, obviously, this offseason. When should Tua come in? Should he start the season? Should he come in later? Riley and I are totally fine with waiting just because of all the new names in this offensive line. The fact that the Dolphins might be starting two rookies. If Hunt moves to right tackle, we'll have a rookie left tackle and a right tackle possibly in Austin Jackson and Hunt. That's pretty scary to put two a week one under center with two rookies on each side. So it sounds like you're kind of in agreement with Riley and I, we think the weight philosophy is much safer for his future with his medical history. And like you just mentioned, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has the seniority. He has the leadership in the locker room. He earned a lot of respect from teammates last year. I say he should go out there as the week one starter, regardless of to his health, just because he's earned it. I agree with that.
0: Um, And You know, I I tweeted something out today. Actually, I did my two-minute drill, and I talked about that. And I said, I would anticipate seeing Tua probably halfway through the season. Um, And then someone came back and said, well, we'll probably see him on, you know, the third week, which is against Jacksonville. It's, you know, a a prime time game. And I said, well, that's better than week one, right? So I'd rather see him in week three than week one, because then you got two weeks to let these guys start meshing, start communicating right, making sure they got the right calls. I'd be OK with week three. But, you know, at the end of the day, we talk all the time and I talk to people all the time. It's not going to be up to us. It's going to be up to the coaches. They're the ones that are sitting next to Tua every single day, seeing how he's playing, asking what his pain level is, if he's getting hit, if he can get back up again. So, you know, I think they're going to do the best thing or they're going to do what's right for Tua and what's right for the team, because we do not want him to get hit in week one. And then be out for the whole season because, you know, something was something happened, which, of course, nobody, nobody wants that to happen. But um, the coaches and, and general manager are going to make sure that they do the best for Tua, I'm sure.
1: We've talked about Tua, obviously, at nauseum on this show. When should he start? The circumstances are just so unique, right? I mean, because we talked about it with the offensive line. We could see four to five new faces on this offensive line through free agency in the draft, right? So do you really want to throw in a quarterback as talented as Tua is? that's coming off a dislocated hip week one or even, in my opinion, week three versus versus an offensive line that's going to take, quite frankly, a lot of time to build some chemistry working together. I mean, offensive line so much revolves around communication, right? Communicating your reads at the line, changing of plays, who's blocking who, who's whose assignments, who's responsible for what. So I don't think that's something that you're going to be able to sort out through training camp and a couple preseason games that's going to take I think at least midway through the season to where the coaching staff will feel comfortable enough to throw Tua in there not that they want Ryan Fitzpatrick to get hurt but somebody's got to be back there right so why would you risk your biggest asset that you've had at that position since Dan Marina why would you throw him back there coming off of such a such a serious injury and risk something else happening to him behind an offensive line that quite frankly isn't ready to protect him
0: you know, obviously with the, with the virus right now, there's the potential that, you know, we may not have as many preseason games as expected, but I think if we are able to have four preseason games and you get those offensive line in, in all of them, even if it's not for the entire game, cause you don't want to risk injury to even these young guys, but if you can get all four, you know, all four games with some of those young guys and, and those first two full season regular season games, you've now got six games of these guys working together and yeah, preseason isn't the real games, but still it's the opportunity to test out the communications between the different guys so you can get a feeling. so but I think too if you're only playing two preseason games, I think it pushes back the
2: timeline a little bit more. It's actually a really good point discussing preseason because that's something uh, I think a lot of people don't take into fact uh, the fact that he could be playing in four preseason games. We don't know how much. It could be a quarter. It could be in the fourth quarter. He may start a preseason game or two. That third preseason game, if there's four of them, where there's so much emphasis on, you know, making it seem like it's a real regular season game. So that is a good point. Now, speaking of preseason, though, last year in preseason games, I remember a certain quarterback who looked really good for the Dolphins, or at least he looked like he could be a starting quarterback. But when The time came for the regular season. It didn't really work out. Of course, I'm talking about Josh Rosen. We talked on our show on Finna to Win at Big E about Josh Rosen and what the Dolphins should do with him. Should they stash him and kind of wait for later on in the year because they do have an almost 38-year-old veteran quarterback and a rookie with a medical past? Or should they try to trade him if there's an offer on the table that's worthwhile? Where do you come down to that where it comes to Josh Rosen? Well, I think I think Josh has a
0: lot of talent, and I think he's actually been in some very tough situations, both with he Arizona has. and yeah. last year. Um, and I remember clearly the preseason because I was sitting there watching Ryan Fitzpatrick pretty much do nothing during the preseason. And then you get – you know, and then here would come Josh Rosen and he would just add a fire to the offense and he would do great. But of course, it's preseason. It doesn't count. Um, But I think the benefits with having Rosen and keeping him on the on the roster is he's so inexpensive. You're not going to find, you know, another quarterback that could potentially come in that's making what he's making right now. And again, I, I would be curious to see how he would perform behind a solid offensive line. I don't think we can say that he's ever had that in the National Football League. You know, so it's really hard to assess somebody's true skills and true talent without the complete picture. And I think he should at least be here, be with the Dolphins for the upcoming season, for the entire season, unless another team has a starter that gets hurt and there is a really, really good offer on the table. Um, But otherwise, I think you hold on to him for at least this year and then see what Fitzpatrick is going to do next year because if Fitzpatrick says, you know, you guys have Tua, you don't need me anymore, I'm going to go ahead and retire with my kids and my family. I've been on 52 teams, you know, in the NFL <laughs> so far. Um he, I think then you'd be able to say, well we've got Josh Rosen. He's a, he's he's got the talent and then you could re-sign him if he'd be interested in re-signing. You know, I think I think he really likes what coach Flores does as many of the players for the Dolphins do. And I think he really likes what this team is doing. So we'll we'll see. But I think you hold on to it for at least 2020.
1: So Ian, before we get you out of here, we saved a few fan questions that we've received leading up to the Fins Up Friday. And I wanted to get your input on some of them. So let's start off from Noah DuPont on Twitter. He asks us to give us our greatest Dolphins memories and perhaps maybe our worst. So Ian, I'm curious, especially being a season ticket holder for many years, what memories stand out in a good way and which ones stand out in a bad way? Maybe we should start with the bad ones first and then on a positive note. <laughs> so, good idea, Riley. Yeah. Good idea.
0: So I think the bad one I'm just going to use last season because it was so close. You know, I'm I, I went to the game. I was at the Patriots game, which was, you know, the drubbing and during week two. And I'm sitting there in the stands and I have the Patriots fans to my left, Patriots fans to my right. Patriots fans in front of me. I've got the wall to my back, so fortunately I didn't have Patriots fans behind me. <laughs> um, but you know, at during the fourth quarter, I actually had the Patriots fans saying to me, "Gosh, we really hope the Dolphins do something here. Why can't they do something?" You know, I think that was right after Kalen Balaj fumbled it <laughs> into the arms oh. of you know of the defender, and they ran it back for a pick six. So you know, I want to say that was probably one of my lowest points in a while. You know, and and I chose. To stay for every single game last year till the end, you know we pay good money as season ticket holder. If you go to a football game, you're paying a lot of money to be there, yeah. you know. So I said I'm going to stay till the very end. And I remember leaving that game and I was I was not a happy camper. So anyway, That's that was demoralizing. My... <laughs> exactly, exactly, <laughs> um, and probably my best, one of my favorites. And this is going to sound a little weird, but the last time the Dolphins had a home playoff game, think about that, right? When was it? That was against the Baltimore Ravens. It was a home game, and it was the season of Wildcat with Chad Pennington. And the reason why I like that one so much is, first of all, I brought my dad because I didn't have kids at that time. And I remember walking into the stadium, and the Miami Dolphins fans were just so electric. And so they were already chanting you know, the Dolphins chant, and they were making so much noise. And just walking into that stadium with that feeling, it made me feel great. And it's really, and I know that there's a lot of other great moments that have happened, you know, like the J train running for 200 and something yards. But I remember that one because I remember us being in the playoffs, you know, and I think if we can do that again, you're going to find tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of, of dolphins fans that live in South Florida that haven't taken their dolphins Jersey out of their closet in about 15, 20 years, you know? And I think, that's that really is a memory that's going to stick with me, you know, because we all the Dolphins fans were having a great time until probably the first quarter. And then, you know, then we realized, by, <laughs> well, it was great.
2: Well, Biggie, remember though, in that game, and I, I hate to bring this up and open up old wounds, but the Dolphins recovered that fumble. They took it down to like the two or three yard line and they could not get in the end zone. And I remember watching that game on TV and looking over and saying, that is that is going to kill them in this game. The fact that they could not get up seven nothing on this Ravens team, and they had to settle from a field goal from the one or two yard line. Not to say that was the reason they lost the game, but I just remember that moment so vividly today. uh, oh, it, it was tough.
0: Yeah, and of course the the they figured out the Wildcat, and I think I think the oh, yeah. Wildcat was sunset probably the the game or two games before that one because even the Dolphins tried the the Wildcat the next season, it just didn't work anymore. So.
1: Mason, I'm curious. I don't know if you've ever told me your worst memory. Oh, wow, that's as a tough one.
2: Um, So one of my youngest worst memories when I lived in South Florida was watching uh, Pete Stoyanovich um, shank the 45-yard field goal or so in the divisional playoffs against the Chargers. I believe that was 1995. So I was young, and it was a bad snap. It wasn't Pete's fault entirely. But uh, that game, the Dolphins were leading almost the whole entire game. San Diego came back. That would have sent the Dolphins to the AFC Championship, and that's the year the Super Bowl was in Miami. It was the Chargers and the the Niners. The Dolphins had a great chance to play, be the first ever team to play a home Super Bowl. But I would say Riley, um, a little bit older, 2002, uh, the year Ricky Williams had the uh, NFL rushing. He was the NFL rushing leader when Miami was 9-5, and and – they blew the game against Minnesota, but specifically that game at New England, the Dolphins had a double digit lead. So many things went wrong in those last few minutes. Just to like put myself through torture every year or two, you know, I open a beverage of choice. I'm not gonna say what it is, and I rewatch that game. And no, no unless they sponsor weird. us,
1: we won't say it that's true (laughs) that
2: would be I would say just because that team was so talented and yes they did have its flaws but that was one of the best Dolphins team after Marino post Marino and I think if they would have gotten into the playoffs they could have done something um but yeah I would say that's my my worst memory probably 2002 the way we ended the season and just losing in Foxborough and the Jets actually made the playoffs that year oh it was horrible what was yours Riley
1: for me, it's definitely Dan Marino's final game. I just will it, never yeah. be able to get that taste out of my mouth for multiple reasons. Obviously, just the fashion that they lost and our the greatest quarterback in franchise history. One of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history has to go out like that. It just makes me feel sick to my stomach. And even more so that one of my best friends is like a diehard Jacksonville Jaguars fan. And he just will never let me get over it. Every time the Dolphins are on TV, he'll text me or if I'm with him, he'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, 62 to 7, 62." That's all he's got to say, and then I just have that feeling like I was there that day and it just happened to me again. <laughs> like it's just it's going to haunt me the rest of my life. But um if we're talking about positives, I have a couple. So, I was there for Jason Taylor's final game, which I'm sure you were, Ian. That was that was a great day. Um yep it would have been a lot better if that return was counted as a touchdown, that fumble recovery, but that he got. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. But but still, it was, was still, it was a great memory for me though. And I've talked about this on a previous episode, but I'm going to bring it back up tonight. Wasn't even on the field. I was able to go back in 2012, you know, with all of the Miami dolphins, 40th anniversary of the perfect season, they were actually playing the Jags um, at home. And that whole weekend, there were all of these different events And I was able to go with my uncle to one of their events. It was a screening. I can't remember. I think it's Olympia Theater is what it's called in downtown Miami. With the 1972 Dolphins did the screening that kind of talked about and commemorated the perfect season. So, like, you know, after the screening, all of the, like, they all were there. All like Warfield, Greasy, Larry Little, uh, Bonacotti, Manny Fernandez, all those guys. They were all there. And obviously Coach Shula was there. And, you know, some of the players spoke and then Coach Shula got up um, afterwards, after all the players spoke and he was kind of talking about that season. And it's just it's like, oh, my God, this freaking legend is like 20 feet away from me talking. And I'll never forget how he ended the quote that night. And that's something that will always stick with me. So he ended the he ended the night by saying people people think, you know, us 1972 Dolphins celebrate too much. And then he kind of paused and looked around. But to hell with them. <laughs> and the place, Ian, the place absolutely erupted in applause. Absolutely. People were standing up; like it was just such a great, great experience to like be with the team and coach up there. And for him to say that, people just lost their minds. And I got to meet him the next day on the field. You know, it was for a brief moment, but he was so like generous with his time with the fans. Like they that's what never, everybody has said about him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Has said about him, he was so generous with his time and just to be, you know on the field with a legend like that. There's never going to be another coach ever like Don Shula. Um, Not even just in terms of the victories, but just the person that he was. I mean, I've never heard a person say a bad word about Don Shula. It it, it was an amazing experience.
2: So I guess I'll I'll chime in with mine. Riley, that was a pretty good anecdote. So I I don't know if I can top that. But just real quick, I would say being at the 2000 playoff game when uh, Lamar Smith ran it in uh, in overtime to beat the Colts, that was pretty awesome. That was the last Dolphins playoff game I've ever been to. Uh, that was 20 years ago. So that's pretty crazy. But um, but hopefully, you know, fingers crossed as time goes on. But my dad and I, we would always listen to the radio broadcast later on after the games because we would go to the home games. And I still am to this day a huge Jim Mandich fan. Um, listening to him. Uh, the vocabulary he would use, the sense of humor he would bring to his broadcast. And that radio call of um, Smith running it into the end zone is still, I can still remember to this day. So I would say that was probably my, my highlight for my dolphins life, just being at that game.
1: So we got another question on Twitter. We have a couple more for you in before we get you out of here, but curious, which rookie are you most excited? And you can't say Tua. Okay. No easy (laughs) answers here on Finance to Win It, but which rookie Uh, Coming in this year, are you most excited to see play in a Dolphins uniform? Um, I'm
0: going to go with Noah Igbenogany. And I think, you know, the fact that he, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard his story and seen everything about his background. And I believe his parents are the ones that were both in the Olympics. Right. And they were, were they're super fast. And, you know, but, but what I liked about him too, and what I've heard is, you know, his leadership on the field, is something that people really pay attention to and people really, really appreciate, but also seeing his highlights from college, you know, he's the guy that I'm, I'm excited for. And I know there's so many other different ones too. And I know, you know, we've, we've got um, the offensive lineman, Robert Hunt. I love his story as well. Um, But I'm excited. There's so many of them that I'm excited to see, but I'm going to say it just because I, I, I love what I see with him, and I love saying his name too, Igbenagani. That's that's not an easy one, but I, you know, we've got to get used to it because he's probably going to be a star with our team, or I'm hoping he will be.
2: Yeah, Biggie. I actually mentioned on our last show. I've, I've been watching a lot more tape and film of him, and I'll tell you what: the athleticism and the way he can make up ground with that speed. I'm really excited to see what he can do for the Dolphins. So that was a great answer.
1: Yeah, it's funny because Mason and I on draft night when they drafted him, we were like oh what (laughs) they drafted a cornerback okay that's that's we knew they were going to go in the secondary but we were expecting you know a safety to come off the board that early we were not expecting a cornerback but kind of like what you talked about uh guys the more and more tape that I watched on him because I didn't watch that much on any of the corner cornerbacks quite frankly going into the draft because you know Byron Jones, Xavier (laughs) and Howard. The more and more tape I watched, I was like, oh, my God, I can totally see why Flores brought this guy in. Like, he is a physical, in-your-face, athletic corner. He's going to fit that system in the nickel probably this year perfectly. But, yeah, all these rookies, Ian, have such great stories. You mentioned Igbenogonese, Robert Hunt. We shared the video you posted on Twitter. What an amazing, amazing story. And then Austin Jackson saving his uh, sister's life doing that yep. bone marrow. I mean, they're high character guys all over this draft class. And I think that's one thing that stands out to me is just the type of players, not just on the field, right, that Flores is bringing in, but off the field as well, like high quality, high character uh, individuals.
0: And what you'll also see with the, you know, and if you think about where we are today versus where the Dolphins have been for the 10, last 10 or 15 years, you know, even last season, you have one of your starters go down, you don't really have a strong enough backup that's going to come in and truly replace that player that got hurt or is going to be out for a series or half a game or whatever it is but now they're getting to the point where okay if we have an offensive lineman come down you know go down guess what we've got one of these rookies or we've got one of these you know guys that that we feel could be a starter on our team today that are going to be able to plug and play and the other thing too if you'll notice you know a lot of the players now they, they have played in multiple positions in college, you know, so I, I think even Robert Hunt, I think he was a tackle at some point, and now he's just being listed as a guard. You yeah. know, I think the coach has – and, and, and uh, general manager um, Greer have both made it a point to say we want to find guys – that can be interchangeable if we need them, because we have had so many issues. Like I think it was even maybe last season early or no, it was the prior year where, you know, we, we, our left guard went out and immediately there was an impact to the game, a negative impact to the game where I think, I think Tannehill threw the interception and which got run back or whatever the case was. And we lost the game because we didn't have a strong enough backup. So, I mean, the roster that is being built out right now is, so competitive and these guys are so talented and it's just it actually gives me goosebumps just being able to say that because we really haven't been able to say that for a long time
2: yeah the dolphins have had horrible luck with injuries especially on the offensive line it seems like every year they have a major injury and you're right the depth has been an issue but riley and i use this word a lot versatility flores greer they're bringing in more and more guys who can play those multiple positions we see it on both sides of the ball and at the end of the day if the worst comes and there is an injury, they can plug someone else in that spot and we won't see talent dip that much. Yeah.
1: It's a great point, Ian, because I think you may be talking about might be talking about Shaq Calhoun. Like, he was an undrafted rookie and he ends up playing the majority of the season due to injuries. Like we just didn't have guys in previous years that If something does happen, a guy that has, you know, a lot of upside or playing experience that's able to come in or even shift around the line, like, now we have we have some stability there. Like we talked about Michael Dieter, right? Yeah, he had a rough year last year, but look what was around him. Not much at all. Yeah. Like it was a, you know, just a revolving door uh, at tackle. Uh, Kilgore wasn't very good at center last year. So you're gonna expect better things, even if he's not starting. like at least you have a guy like that coming off the bench. So if you know if, like, you know, flowers goes down or something like that, hey, Dieter's coming in. He started most of last year, so he's got some reps under his belt. But it's not just the offensive line. Like that's kind of all over the field now. We're starting to finally influx this team with a lot of talent and a lot of youth. So that's it's a good point. That's what makes a lot of fans so excited about the team now. All right, Big E. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on to our inaugural episode of Fins Up Friday. You can follow his work at dolphinstalk.com, the two-minute drill, follow him on Twitter at Ian693. Ian, we hope to have you on sometime in the future, but thanks for coming on and getting us kickstarted on our first fins up Friday. We really appreciate it.
0: Well I, I really appreciate the invitation, gentlemen. It's been a, a wonderful show and definitely I'll look forward to, to speaking with you guys again.
1: All right. So a big time thank you to Ian Berger, Big E, as they call him on Twitter. You can follow him at Ian693 in his work at Dolphins Talk. Dot com. It was a ton of fun talking to Ian about some Dolphins football, some of our favorite memories uh, with the Miami Dolphins and the team going into this season. So thank you so much, Ian, for that. And thank you to all the fans out there who submitted questions through our social media channels, at FinItToWinIt. Just a reminder, if you haven't yet, make sure you enter our TUA jersey giveaway. All you got to do is go to our Twitter or Facebook page. And to enter, you have to retweet or share the post and then follow us, at FinItToWinIt, and you will be entered to win a free to a jersey so make sure you do that rate subscribe on any major podcast platform all right guys so that's going to do it for our first fins up friday this was a blast thank you all so much we look forward to doing these more and more in the future we hope everyone has a great weekend for mason i'm riley fins up everybody